Well, good morning. If you do have a Bible with you, you can open up to John chapter 4. Uh, today uh, will be the final message in a series we have called, been calling Restrictions. Uh, and to us, there can be a bit of a repulsiveness when we hear that word these days. But I have been asking you to consider in uh, Revelation chapter 3, the restrictions, the same heart that our loving Father feels, as Revelation 3.20 shares, that when we leave him standing at the door, God desires an intimate relationship with us, but it is often us who place restrictions upon him. So this morning, as we give this last series and we're going to, uh, this last message and we're going to uh, conclude with communion in just a few moments, um, I got a, a lot of scripture that I want to read. I just want to read this whole passage in John uh, chapter 4, verses 4 through 34. A story that I'm sure you've heard before, and I, I want to um, just allow us the time, a final chance to reflect today and finally open the door. So we're going to open up John 4, beginning at verse 4. Now he, referring to Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet as time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Um, let's begin with a word of prayer.
Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that as we've come in here this moment, in this season in our life, this season in the the trajectory of our nation, we now want to allow ourselves to be men and women of God that can, with humility, hear your word and ask an honest question, what are you saying to us? As we prepare for communion this morning, a time of communion that we have not had together in months, may not just be a routine, but a reminder that we are called to keep coming back to the table. And returning to that table includes change, includes conviction, includes humility, includes recognizing that there is still new life taking place in us as we allow death and change to take place within us. May we find ourselves at your feet this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I titled this message, Travel Restrictions. And that's simply because what we read about in verse 4 is something really interesting. It just simply says, now he had to go through Samaria. The travel restrictions weren't restrictions that Jesus had on Samaria. They were the restrictions that the Pharisees and, well, that the disciples would have had on Samaria. Samaria was not a place that any Jew wanted to go to. The Pharisees avoided it at all costs. If they, had, they were making their way back, they would, they would take the long way around Samaria. So the disciples don't, didn't expect Jesus to go to Samaria, but they assumed he was doing this to take the quickest route possible, no, not even assuming that he would actually do some ministry in Samaria. They assumed he would get in and get out as quickly as possible, probably get in and get something to eat. That's what they, they see him doing in the text. But we got to hurry up and grab something to eat and get out of this place. Now, so they had these travel restrictions upon a place like Samaria. Now, there's a lot of history here. Have you guys heard the parable called the Good Samaritan? They, that's, that's interesting because no one expected Samaritans to be good. They had this negative um, sense of what a Samaritan was. Now, why is this? It goes back to Basically, uh, they have some similar relatives. They have some, the Jews and the Samaritans have some similar lineage. But the, the Samaritans get really liberal with their doctrine, and they're really loose in their morality. And they actually, that, that name Sychar has also been kind of translated to believe to be a place of drunkenness and just a place of immorality. And so the Jews, although they actually had similar um, religious ideas, um, they were a lot more loose with their living. And the Jews were really frustrated about that, so they just equivocated like dirt and just filth with Samaria. And the Samaritans were not, they believed because of this, the Samaritans were not good people. And so Jesus tells a a parable about a good Samaritan, about all of these religious people walked by and didn't do the right thing, but a Samaritan did. And so they have travel restrictions because of the next thing, religious restrictions. The Jews said that the Samaritans are not like us. If we go through Samaria, we will be defiled. And see, to my knowledge, from what I understood, the Samaritans did not have these rules against the Jews. This is even in the Great Commission. Jesus talks about this. 
He says, go therefore, making disciples of all nations, baptizing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Excuse me, in Acts 1.8, he says, go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He intentionally said Samaria. Go, spread the gospel to people and places that are not like you. Even people, even places that before you thought you would never go. Now, I want us, as we get this last uh, message of this series, I'm going to go through the first of these as religious restrictions. I'm going to go through two more of these. And I want to identify with all of you, and let's all admit that we all have these things. We all have this distance that we create. And go ahead, and I think I skipped that text. Put Revelation 3, uh, um, 19 through 20 back up on the board. Here's where the, the base text for everything we've been talking about in the last few weeks come from. Jesus says to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3, a, a lukewarm church who thought they had it all together, but they were actually really lukewarm. And he said, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And here's one of the last things he says to them. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Remember, this is a church. He's not talking to unchurched people. People love to use these kind of words for, um, for, for lost souls or for salvation. He's talking to Christians. So let's go ahead and everybody say, just like I'm going to say, he's talking to me. Ready? One, two, three. He's talking to me. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. I've just been, this was the same passage that we, that was the base, same base passage that we preached at our Easter service. It has been the passage that I can't let go of because there is an, whether it's a spiritual irony, and I don't even know what the word is I want to put to it. The Lord wants to say something to us about here we are in a different time where we're living at home more. We're staying um, indoors a lot more. And as he speaks to the church in Laodicea, they've all enclosed and created their own world. And where is Jesus? Where's Jesus in Revelation 3.20? Knocking on the door. They have a world that they have created that they are comfortable with. Excuse me. That we have created that we are comfortable with. That we have restrictions. And the first one I want to talk to you is just as... The Samaritans, or the Jews had about the Samaritans, we all have some religious restrictions. Now, what I mean by that is we all have preferences. And I want to tell you, there's nothing wrong with preferences. Absolutely nothing wrong with preferences. But I wonder if you've ever went to a church service uh, that is not a brethren service, that is not like this one before. I've been to one Catholic service in my whole life. I've gone with Joe, who's often here as a guest, and it's very different for me. It's a lot of stand up and sit down and sit back down again, stand back up and sit down and say this and sit back down and say this and stand back down and stand sit back up down. I, I get confused, a lot of up and down through that. If you've been to, um, uh, maybe if you've been to a Baptist service, oftentimes it's important to close, you know, if you've gone to a Baptist service, you really haven't had church unless you've had an altar call. 
You haven't had a church service unless you've really had an altar call and somebody gave their life to Christ at the end of every Baptist service. There's always an invitation. And, and I, there's people that have said to me, we're not really having church unless we give an invitation at the end of service. You know, I, I have churches that I've gone to in, in Kentucky where you're not really having church unless the pastor's preaching like, and Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. And it's not really preaching unless he's breathing that extra breath at the end of every line. There's certain things that you become accustomed to. There's certain things. Now, here's where it becomes dangerous is that when we begin to say, I just can't receive that. Now, I, I, had, a, I, had, a, I had a moment where this, this actually happened to me. My little brother was in rock bands. He used to, he used to go around and... and and uh, toured all these different shows, and there'd be all these different kinds of people that would come to these shows, and they were Christians. It, this, this was, they were called a Christian band. And I'll never forget this story. I've probably told it. I'm getting, been here for a while now, so maybe you've heard all my stories, so I'm going to tell them again anyway, okay? So I go to this show, and they have, you might know what a mosh pit is. Okay, I know, maybe Nick does. So, so mosh pit was just this thing that where they would play this hard music. These guys would get in the circle, and they'd start pushing each other and knocking each other down. And, and they would love it. It was fun. It was a way to celebrate the music and a way to, to get each other fired up. And I had a, a couple guys that I brought the, for this church that I was at, and uh, they were loving this stuff. And, and this guy had never been to a show like this before, and I'm watching this guy just having a blast, and all of a sudden these two guys take it throw him up against the wall and he hits and falls back down on his tail and he walks back up over to me and he goes man and all the guys at West he comes back up they're all like you know patting him on the back and saying you're awesome man and he walks back up over to me and says man I don't know what it is but I just feel so loved here <laughs> I was like, he just got he just got thrown up against the wall I, I don't I don't understand but for him, it was church. For me, I didn't understand. And you guys know by now that I come from a Pentecostal background where we're not really having church unless, unless people are coming to the altar, unless supernatural miracles are happening, unless people are speaking in tongues, unless we're getting prophetic revelations. And I'll be honest with you, that really messed with me at first when I first came here almost eight years ago. And so there are religious expectations that we can have that keep us from letting God do a new thing in our midst because it's not the way that we want it. It's not the way we're accustomed to. Unless the pastor preaches that way, unless we have an altar call, unless we sing this song, well, I can't really hear from God. You know what our brethren thing could be? What would we do if we took away joys and concerns out of our service? Tearing our clothes. No! We have to have joys and concerns. It's a tradition. God will not honor us in church if we do not share our joys and concerns in the Brethren Church. Nothing wrong with having preferences. But I wonder, I wonder how often... We can't see God doing something new because we're so hung up upon the old ways. See, the point is that let's make sure our expectations of God are not restricted by religion. 
not restricted by a Sunday morning, not restricted by the way that it has always been, but worst of all, not restricted by predetermined judgment. Predetermined judgment of someone else. Because they look a certain way, because they say certain things, because they attend a certain place, because I know their past, that God can't do a work in their life, and I should probably not connect, associate, pray for them. When we do this, we put ourselves in a box that will restrict, not God, he'll break out of every box you ever try to put him in, but it will restrict us, and we will keep him at the door. We will keep him at a distance. As we close on this point, where are your religious restrictions? Always expecting the old thing. Always wanting something in the past so you can't let God do a new thing in your life. Next, we see worship restrictions in this path. You see in this passage, it says in, in uh, John 4, 24, Jesus tells the Samaritan woman, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, worship in authenticity. That he is God and we are not. It's aligning with who God really is, not the manipulated form of Christ that we keep at the door in case we need him. I want you to hear this for a moment. Because we all do this. I do this too. See, the idea of God is really convenient at funerals, isn't it? The idea of God sounds really good at weddings when people are making a covenant with each other. The idea of God is really helpful when tragedy strikes and when people are, when we mention things like our thoughts and prayers. And the idea of God is really good for us at Christmas time. It's really convenient to open the door and let Jesus in. But what about the moment when somebody puts out a political post that you don't agree with? Is the idea of God as convenient for you then? What about the moment after the second drink when you know that you should stop? Is the idea of God as convenient? The moment that you are scrolling around the internet looking for things that you know that you shouldn't be. The moment when you know you're not sharing a prayer request anymore, but delving into dark parts of someone's life that do not need to be shared. As the presence of God is convenient in this moment. See, we have worship restrictions or we worship just because we know it's what we're supposed to. We can say the words on the screen and sometimes we need to keep saying the words on the screen until we mean them. But when Jesus says spirit and truth, he says, I want all of you. I want the good, the bad, and the ugly. Give me your light, but also give me your darkness and let me do a new work in you. Spirit and truth says that God wants that all of me, and I'm going to worship when I feel like it. When I don't feel like it, I'm going to celebrate the light that God has placed in my life, and I'm going to let the light expose the darkness. This is best illustrated in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. It's a parable that says to, to some 
who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at the distance and he would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified. Worship in spirit and truth is about humility, gratitude, and change. That when we partake of communion, this isn't just some memorial religious thing we do. It is a symbol of something that is continuing to happen in our lives right now. I am dying and I am experiencing life anew. I am partaking of the blood and the life of Christ. This is what we are called to continue to do. And finally, hunger restrictions. I think I was supposed to go all the way to 34 and I cut off at 24. So I didn't read this last piece of the passage. But when Jesus, I'll I'll go ahead and pick up in, in verse 27 in John chapter 4, verse 27. It says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman, the woman at the well. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Hunger restrictions. As Jesus said, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. He is referring to a different type of satisfaction. Philippians 3, 18 through 19 tells us, this is a, in verse 18 it says, For as I have often told you, this is from the Apostle Paul, before now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is lowercase g-o-d, is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. You see what Paul is doing here? The belly is a metaphor for living by impulsiveness, living by constant endless wants and desires to consume, always wanting to consume and chasing after it ardently. Again, I know I've told this story at some point too, but I'm going to tell it again because it's a good one. I remember um, when I used to get to, I had one year at, at Preble Shawnee, I had lunch duty and I would, ha- I would see all three groups come to lunch. I would see the middle school kids and then two high school groups. And we would always laugh and joke because when it was time, for the middle school kids to come to lunch, and we would hear that bell ring. We would start hearing this sound of, 
screaming. Then they'd start getting climbing over top of the chairs and doing everything they could. Things would be getting knocked over. Kids would be getting trampled on. And it was scary, but to do everything they could to get first in line. Now, the difference was when it was time for the high school kids, it was so funny because we knew, and just like you and me, when it's dinner time, when it's lunchtime, we all feel the same way as the middle school kids do. But they got to act cool, you know? They got to get to the front of the line, but act cool while they're doing it. So they have like this thing that they do where it's like a strut and a fast walk at the same time. You know, trying to get there as quickly as they can. If they can outmaneuver somebody and act like they're all chill and try to get to the front of the line. And they all do it. They all just like look on their phones. I'm not really trying to hurry. I don't mean to run over you, but I'm going to get there quicker than you. The reality is when it comes to consuming, and I'm not talking about food. Talking about living is, is the God, the G-O-D is our bellies and that what we want, our desires, our impulsiveness. That's really what many of us still do today. Many Christians still do today. We live as consumers above everything else. It's more about what we want and we often know we've learned how to look civilized doing it. This is what Jesus is talking about in this Passage, this is what we see Paul referring to in Philippians. When he talks about their God is their bellies. And see what Jesus is saying, that he's offering a different meal, a different buffet, a different place to come to. He's saying, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. That I wasn't placed here just to, just to fulfill my own desires I was placed here to be about something bigger than myself. As we've been talking about this passage in Revelation 3.20 for the last month now, it's ironic how what, what does Jesus say he will come in and do? This whole series, they're sitting inside their home, and what is the assumption that they are doing while Jesus is standing at the door? Because Jesus says he would like to come in and eat with them. So just now, get this image in your head. Get this image in your head of Jesus standing at the door of your life. And inside this room is this space that you have created that is, you are very comfortable in all of your religious restrictions and all of your worship restrictions and all of your hunger restrictions. And if you're like me after a Sunday morning, you're just... And Jesus is standing at the door. Hunger, being consumers, being driven by our own impulsiveness, no question is a restriction to intimacy with the living God. We have to be willing to take a a step back and say, Lord, I've been doing this all my life and I'm still chasing after. I still feel entitled. I still want what they have across the street. I I still am all, I'm thinking about this next thing that I have to get. And once I get this money, once I get this home, once I get, I'm always wanting the next thing. I have to believe that you've wanted something more for me than this. So as we conclude this series and prepare for communion, Nick's going to begin to play that song.
I want to ask you at this time just to bow your heads and close your eyes. You could have your communion in your hands if you think you're going to need 15 seconds or more to prepare your elements. We're going to be a minute or two before we partake. So Tonight, uh, this morning, excuse me, I want to ask you, how are you keeping him at the door? What is the restriction that you have placed on greater intimacy with Christ? Is it your anger? Your constant longing to be right? Your pursuit of stuff above everything else? A lifestyle that you're unwilling to lay down? And maybe it's just simply your time. Pretty consistent banner that we wave in opposition to worship. I don't have time right now. Maybe it's simply sin, an area, a dark area of your life that the Lord has exposed. And so now, as we've talked about this for weeks, I don't think we'll have social distancing issues if we open up the altar, but you're welcome to come forward. But I just want you to make an altar even right where you're at if you would like. Take just two minutes and give you an opportunity to reflect. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. It's your turn to let him in. Whatever that looks like, what is the restriction that you have placed, the terms that you have set? The Lord, I want you in my life, but only this far. You allow the Lord to come in this morning. Just take a moment in your own altar, your own time of confession as the passage tells us to repent, to turn, to change, and allow him to do a new work. Take one minute, your own time of reflection, your own time of repentance. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You can prepare your elements. In about a minute, we're going to partake of the cup together. Or excuse me, partake of the bread together, partake of the wafer. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. New life, the, the, the bread is a symbol of new life, of sustenance, of his life within you. Of giving you a reason for existence, giving you a purpose and allowing change to take place in your life. Let's partake of the bread 
together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The cup is a symbol of Christ's blood shared for us. It's a symbol of his death that we must continue to die to ourselves. As it says, take up your cross. Deny ourselves daily. Take up your cross. Follow me. Let's partake of the cup together. Lord, we thank you for your body. We thank you for your blood. We thank you that this has been a symbol that we keep coming back to the table that, to remind us that we needed, as you said this, you reminded us that we needed something tangible. We needed something as, as humans here on this earth, a tangible way of expressing that we are a part of you as you are a part of us. The text we read today that we will worship you in spirit and in truth. But Lord, you are a God that is present with us. And today we are reminded that you want to be more present in our lives each day if we will put an end to our restrictions and to continue to let you in the door and to come and eat with us. But all throughout this church and this season of, of, of being at, at home more and being indoors more and being enclosed, may we be reminded of these restrictions, this quarantine that we place on the living God. And Lord, and may, we be, may it be our journey, our call to continue to put an end to it. We invite you in and long for greater intimacy with the living God. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Your benediction this morning. May you put an end to religious worship and hunger restrictions in your life and open the door so that the King of glory may come in and do a new work in your life. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming this morning, and we will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.